the 11 to 1 show. Would you know if you were living next door to a serial killer? This is the question posed by my next guest in a brilliant new show coming to Dublin's Vicar Street on June 7th. So it's exploring what makes a killer and why some people can be born into, you know, normal families brought up without fear or abuse, yet still choose a murderous path. The show is hosted by Emma Kenny. She's one of the UK's most notable TV crime commentators. She's a psychological therapist. She specialises in victimology and she's a regular panellist on UK TV shows. She's also presented Britain's Darkest Taboos, Lady Killers and Killer in My Family. I'm delighted to have Emma Kenny on the line with me now. You're very welcome, Emma. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Great to have you. Now, true crime series. I am a fanatic about this. I'm quite obsessed with it. You know, I don't think I'm alone in it as well. There's a real appetite for this sort of true crime. I don't know. Does that speak volumes about us, Emma? Would you be concerned now about somebody that has an unhealthy appetite with true crime? Well, I mean, I'd have to be concerned about myself for a start because literally that's something that I have spent my entire career being obsessed with. I guess that one of the most intriguing points about this is that it's about 80% female. So it's women who are really interested in true crime. Aside from gang culture, men tend to be more prevalent in the gang culture arena of enjoying watching and learning about that. But for women, about 80% of us, when we're watching it, we're doing it for a range of reasons, which is we want to rehearse. So we want to imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. We like to manage our stress around that. Also, we can't envisage why anybody would do the things Mm. that they do when they're so malevolent. And that's something that means that we just have this curiosity. And so I don't think we have to be worried because as well, it tends to be that we score higher on empathy levels. So we're more empathetic. And because of that, we kind of desperately want to understand what motivates you. Because why would somebody do to a family the absolute opposite of what we would ever choose to do? And I think that's why we're so connected with these things. Oh, it's so interesting the way you put it like that. Absolutely. And so talk to me about your own journey into this. Was it sort of this idea of wanting to understand the mind or of a criminal or how did you get into this area? Well, I think, first of all, I've just always been incredibly nosy. That's <laughs> the reality. I think that I'm very good at confidentiality. So nosiness and confidentiality and quite solution-focused meant the therapeutic arenas were very helpful for me because it meant that I could do something I felt naturally acclimatised to. I guess crime, it was one of those things when I started working with young offenders. So probably about six years into my career, I started working with young offenders. I did that for a decade. And I found that most young offenders are victims. So even though TV and the media, we like to paint this picture of they're good, they're bad, that's a perpetrator, that's a victim, that's a hero, that's a villain. It didn't really work in reality. So victimology, so understanding what creates people, both good and bad, that became a focus. So from then on, I started to kind of work with victims of usually high sexual violence, for example, and the correlation often between the experiences of these individuals, both those who end up in prison and those who end up going on to live pro-social, compassionate lives. Mm. A lot of the features featured in their childhood, and I wanted to understand, okay, but what changes that person from being the average person, which is you have a horrible childhood, you have horrible experiences, you become a victim of crime, and then you go on to be the nicest person, and that's by far the percentage, the fact that most people who experience the worst go on to be incredible human beings. And yet there are these others who seem to go down a wholly different path. And it was, if I can understand that, can I deflect it? Can I change the outcomes? So that's really why I embarked on that level of work. 
And then the TV, I just fell into that. Yeah. And because it gives you nice opportunities to go to a wider audience. I've always appreciated it. You know, my YouTube is the thing that I now do a great deal again because I can tell stories really intensely. And I guess that it's the relational experience with the legacy of victims and the justice you want for them. And also the engagement of the public because it's so reassuring to have people care. Yeah. And you don't get anybody more caring than people who are interested in true crime. Yes, that is so, so true. And, you know, you mentioned yeah. there that you, you, you worked quite a bit, obviously, with, with victims, but uh, you obviously it worked quite a bit as well with people that were repeat young offenders that had this potential yeah. to go down this road, very serious, violent road. So what's it like sitting opposite a potential serial killer? I mean, whenever I've been with people who are criminals and I'm working on hope, so the whole premise is, the fact that you can choose better and do more and have a bigger impact on your society, that's always the main focus. But when I've worked, and very occasionally, let me tell you, very rarely with individuals that I've thought, goodness, this is not going to go how I want it to go, and mm. there is real potential for significant harm, I've tended to see very clear things that have disturbed me, like animal torture. Yes. I've seen people who, yes, they've had horrible abuse in their lives with respect to their victims too, but there is almost a thirst for manipulation. And you can't work therapeutically with individuals like that. It's very different. So with a normal individual who is, say, atypical in their behavior, they may offend, but typical in their adjustment in the fact that they understand impact, you always are thinking, well, this is going to go a place where they might not become the prime minister, but they'll probably figure out how to be a reasonable human being. That's great. But when you get somebody who is trying to manipulate you throughout the session, who is trying to make you afraid during the session, who is trying to throw titillating value about what they enjoy and what they wish to enjoy in the future, bringing in things like, oh, I killed a cat last week, etc. Mm. That is something that disturbs me because I know they're not seeing the actual paradigm we're working in as anything to do with productive behaviour and change. It's about having fun with me. Yes. And so they're rare and they are incredibly rare. Um, so I've not really had the fortune of sitting and thinking, well, this is going to be a serial killer. What I have had, I've followed and tracked a couple of individuals that I've worked with in my time, and both of those are both serving incredibly long sentences in prison for very violent crimes. So wow. that is not, it's not surprising to me. Mm. But when we talk about serial killers, particularly organised and advanced organised serial killers who are very, very aware of their environment, are very aware of technological advances, they're terrifying because, of course, they would never sit in a session with somebody like me and say that because they would never want you to even consider the idea that they had that malevolence within them. They're the truly terrifying ones. Maybe the ones that I've worked with, mm. they show themselves very effectively, whereas these kind of individuals, they would never even walk into therapy because, of course, they've never done anything wrong in their heads. Their conscience is clear. It's just who they are hardwired to be. Yes, and it's this idea of the wolf in sheep's clothing, and you know, I bring this. uh, Yeah, like, and there's this a case in Ireland particularly that that struck me the most, where there was a very respectable um, guy in a very respectable job, and had the absolute most gentlest looking face, and had committed this horrific murder. uh, You know, and is 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 currently in jail. Like for me, I you know that's the thing where you're going. Hang on a minute. Uh, first of all a murderer doesn't look like that secondly he's not supposed to live in a lovely house in an affluent area with loads of lovely children and a wife so this is the part where we go hang on a minute that's jarring now with the idea of a killer so this is what you are talking about in this show yeah you just described 
exactly what we'd expect from an organised serial killer. Right. So we would expect them to be cohabiting, married sometimes for decades, above average intelligence, socially adept, skilled in employment, sexually competent, able to have intimate relationships, literally considered a good guy every single day of the week by colleagues and by family members. And everyone is unaware of that capacity and malevolence within. That's what makes those truly terrifying because they're the ones that with respect, we hope we would have an intuition about, but we rarely do. And that's the other thing when people think about victims and they're like, well, why didn't they realise or why did they go with that person? Why did they get in that car hitchhiking? You know, I spent my youth hitchhiking. I came from yeah. working class family. didn't have any money. I wanted to be able to get around. I got in cars. I look back now and I think, my goodness, that's the benevolence of humanity that very mm. much the majority of people doing that are doing you a favour and the good people. But the point is, you would look at somebody and think, is there a girl with them? Oh, well, I can get in the car. Do they look kind? Oh, I can get in the car. And it's the bias of micro-trust that you and I do every day. We trust we're not going to fall out of bed and die. We trust we're not going to choke on our toast. We trust we're not going to get hit by the bus. We go about these actions day in, day out because we trust our environment. So too, do we believe that there is a look of trust in another human being and that we just know that we can trust them. And that's why victims become victims, because they are clever, they are insightful, but they are not magicians and they cannot see into the darkness of the soul. And these individuals that you were just describing, the wolf in sheep's clothing, they walk around our world disguised so eloquently and their manipulation techniques are so effective. Let's be honest, Ted Bundy was yeah. limped. It would work today. If you want to get somebody to help you, look like you're in distress, ask them for help. How many of us would say no? It's just not within our psyche. We think, yeah. oh, they're injured. They need help. So these individuals know that. And that's what makes them so terrifying. That's what makes them the chameleons that cause this chaos. And for so long, they go along in these worlds right. where they have, you know, like you say, built up this reputation. They're almost a pillar of the community, a lot of them as well. Is that part of the kick? Is that part of yeah. what's thrilling for them that they have managed to worm their way in like this into society in such a manner? Yes, because they think we're stupid. And they like that. The superiority and arrogance and the narcissism, actually, that mm. really lends itself to those personality types. That's exactly it, as you're describing it. That's who they want to present us because they think that we are silly and we can't understand their malevolence and that they can't give away themselves. But, of course, that's the other chink in their armour. Because the thing about Mother Nature is she tends to give chinks in the armour of those who need them. And often it is their narcissism that causes them to go too far and alerts us in the end to the deprivate, you know, the absolute demoralised kind of positions that they've brought into other people's lives and the absolute depravity that they've caused, you know, our society. So I think that there is kind of always hope that these individuals be found. I also think that, you know, we've got to acknowledge, I know that the police and the services mm. often get quite a bad rep. You tend to hear about things when they go wrong with the police force, for example. But in truth, we really care about justice in the Western world. The UK and, and Ireland and everywhere that is kind of westernised wants these individuals to be caught. So they do put a huge amount of money now into forensic anthropology, yeah. DNA, algorithms for computers. I'm sure that some of those organised killers that would be out there reaping the murderous tones that they would do have probably decided that at times it's probably not the best place to do it anymore. So I do think our society is not getting safer as far mm. as one-off murders, you know, we know that. It's not getting safer necessarily for women with partners, but I think on a serial killing level, 
there are warnings out there to them that mean that they're not necessarily feeling quite as safe acting in the way that they would have acted, say, 30 years ago today. And that's something that we could take positively. That is, absolutely. And in this show, this is a fascinating show that you're bringing to, to Dublin. Uh, you ask the question uh, uh, yeah. to the audience, if you were, do you, would you know if you were living next door to a serial killer? So we definitely wouldn't, I'm going to say. So are there potential signs <laughs> that we should be looking out for? Well, you know, the problem is with an organised serial killer, like you say, you're not really going to know but what I would say is in the show, there is something that I tell you that they told us. I can't okay. wait. Obviously, I'll be giving away my point. No, line. no, it don't. Help to protect you. And I think when it comes down to disorganized or cross-sectional killers, again, the randomness of the attack and the opportunistic yes. nature of the attack makes it quite difficult for us. The big thing to ask ourselves is, how do I prevent myself from being a victim? And I think that that is something that hopefully when you've come to see the show, you'll go home thinking, actually, there is some power. There is something Mm. that I can do. And I also think we've got to take heart that, like I said, there are in the UK alone hundreds of thousands of armchair detectives. And those armchair detectives, they're not like they used to be. They are online. They're connected with each other. They are amazing. They're amazing. They dissect everything. Yeah, they are unreal. Sometimes the police are probably like, no, we don't need any more of you. But it's like, actually, (laughs) that's why a lot of cases get solved these days. Because those individuals, they are like dogs with bones and they won't let them go. That's the beauty of a democratic, kind society. And as much as we get a bad rep sometimes, honestly, humanity on the whole is unbelievably considerate and kind with one another. So I think the good far outweighs the bad. And I think more than ever, these kind of killers are growing used to that reality that we won't let it lie when we lose loved ones or when people in our society are taken too young. Yes, oh, completely. And, you know, as you said there as well, like, you know, particularly if you go back to, you know, the notorious ones from from years ago, you know, they're inevitably they will slip up. And I feel that there's a sense that they want the world to know about what they're doing and they want to be famous for doing this. Sure, they definitely want some people to know, otherwise they wouldn't leave signatures. Yes. You know, you think about BTK, you think about Zodiac Killer, you think about even Jack the Ripper in the way that he left his signature, in the way that he posed, etc. the individuals and did what he did to their bodies, you know, it's saying, this is my work. Yeah. And they want you to be aware. That's why they try to keep ahead of the forensics, they try to keep ahead of the case. And ultimately, like you said, often this, but you think about a modern case like Israel Keys, mm. I think he was probably the most perfect organized killer of our time i mean he was ruthless he was scrupulous he was forensically very aware and he did it in the way that you could potentially have got away with killing for a lifetime but again he followed to fail his own rules in the end and that slipped him up so there are organized serial killers who are outsmarting everybody and there will be bodies perpetually that turn up in life where these killers get away with it but i think for the vast majority as you say in the end there is something that slides within their psyche and they want people to see this Mm. is my work. And sometimes that will be signature orientated. And some of you say will be that they'll slip up and the narcissism will get the best of them. (laughs) Sit there going, yeah, I want you to know this is who I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the show itself, as they come into Dublin, is this your first time actually coming to to Ireland, Emma? I've not been to Dublin. Oh, fantastic. So I've been to Belfast. I came with my show um, about two years ago, just a smaller thing when I was kind of testing it out. Yeah. 
But I'm back and I'm really excited. I've actually decided to come for three days instead of two so I can kind of enjoy Ireland a bit as opposed to just doing a flying visit. I'm really excited about it. So I've never been to Dublin. I know that Temple Bar, everyone yes. is home to go to, so I've booked somewhere. Also, the, the Guinness Storehouse is a must, must as well. Absolutely, you should check so that out. Excited. Yeah, oh, yeah. You guys are so lovely. Whenever, like, when I came to Belfast, it was just like such a... And it was during COVID, which is like oh. the weirdest time. Remember, I wasn't allowed in any restaurants or anything because I didn't have the COVID pass. But everybody was super lovely. And it's such a warm and embracing community that I'm really excited to come over. I'm just looking at some Irish cases at the moment for my YouTube and just kind of meeting people out there. It's a really nice connection. I think you're great. And you've got such a good sense of humour, which is always good for me because I've got quite a dark yes, sense. Yes, we, we love I'm a dark sense lie. of humour. Yes, we well, do we love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh you're in the right place you are in the coming to the right place that's for sure Emma I could talk to you all day fascinating fascinating insight thank into so this much. and uh, enjoy your time here in Ireland and thank oh, you so much really for joining me you having you on your show. thank you, thank you so much, much. thanks bye a bye million bye now bye. Emma Kenny there fascinating I'm a bit I have to say I'm a little bit sort of jittery or something after that chat but fascinating insight into this the show is called What Creates a Serial Killer The Serial Killer Next Door so it's going to be Vicar Street Wednesday the 7th of June 2023 all of the details are on ticketmaster.ie The 11 to 1 show